20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of a Pack-A-Day podcast. I am your host this evening. I am Jacob Westendorf. I'm not quite sure who I'm filling in for, but I know who I'm filling in with, and that is Mr. Owen Reese. Owen, welcome to the show. Is this your first time on Pack-A-Day? Uh, it is. Um, you and I were around with Ross last week, uh, but yeah, I think this is my first true Pack-A-Day appearance. All right, well, welcome to Pack-A-Day, and uh, we're excited to have you around for hopefully the foreseeable future. Talking a little draft, a little philosophy, a little bit of everything as the Green Bay Packers get ready for the NFL draft, uh, which is less than a month from today, which is good news because it's kind of a dead period after the free agency uh, spending spree and such has kind of come to a screeching halt. A lot of... uh, Really crazy stuff happened in those first couple days, and then it kind of just hits this lull. There's still some decent players available, but really, for the most part, I think teams are focusing on uh, the draft and what they're going to do. The Green Bay Packers, as I'm sure you're aware, by this point, pick 12th and 30th in this year's draft. Uh, and there's a lot of different things that they're going to be able to do with those selections. Let's start, first of all. Oh, and there's a story that came out. Uh, Ross wrote it for Cheesehead TV talking about how the Packers essentially not only purchased four starters for their team, but they also purchased flexibility that they haven't really had. In my opinion, I don't think they've had true flexibility with a position since they won the Super Bowl and took Derek Sherrod uh, that next that next draft. And really since then, they've really had to do, like 2012, you think they took Nick Perry. Well, they had to take a pass rusher, or they felt they had to take a pass rusher, I should say. Plenty of examples since then of taking guys to fit needs, whereas now they can truly, at least in my opinion, look at who the best player available is when they come on the board, whenever that is, and select that guy instead of saying, man, we have to get a pass rusher or we have to get a safety, we have to get a tight end, whatever it is. What are your thoughts on that idea in general? And what do you think the Packers may – were you locked into a specific position – uh, before the draft started, or excuse me, before free agency started, or you know, were you always on the mindset of, no, just take the best player. This team has a lot of needs, and this will be one of them. Oh, yeah, well, I'm typically not. Uh, I try to not to be locked in. Um, there's a lot of different ways to build teams, and, and while Twitter can be uh, a bit of a cesspool uh, at times um, with, huh. with a lot of groupthink, um, 
I typically don't try to, to be locked into picks, but um, truthfully, I, I was. Uh, heading into this offseason with Clay Matthews as a, a pending free agent and Nick Perry's future really being unknown, Kyler Fackrell had a bit of a, a miracle season, uh, if you could put that, uh, registering 10 and a half sacks on the fourth or fifth most pressures on the team, I believe. So, uh, a lot of uncertainty getting into the, the offseason at the pass rusher spot. And if you consider, realistically, your starters, your starters next season could have been Fackrell and like Reggie Gilbert. Uh, it's really a position that regarded to be needed to be upgraded. Uh, so, and without, I guess, in like teams like the Rams did that uh, for a bit last year, really having no notable uh, pass rusher, but they had Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue and Michael Brockers on the D-line. So when you have a position like that, that's that elite or dominant, you can kind of get with the peripherals. Uh, while Green Bay's D-line is, is good, I would I don't consider it in that class right now. Um, so I was pretty locked in. To, uh, one of those first two first-round picks had to be a pass rusher, but – uh, obviously, after the free agency and adding Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, uh, I don't. I don't think that can that desperation is there. Uh, but I certainly think they would still be wise to take one in the first round. Yeah, kind of hard not to be locked into that position after watching you know the scenario that you had played out there, and it it's kind of a scary thought that the Packers were a couple of free agent swing and misses away from potentially starting. Kyler Fackrell and, like you said, Reggie Gilbert. In that case, I guess I don't know if they would have cut Nick Perry or let Clay Matthews walk if they would have just kind of run it back for one more year. But thankfully, we don't have to worry about that. There's a lot of flexibility with that position, but I agree with you on I wouldn't be upset at all if Green Bay picked another edge rusher in the first round. I've even talked about the idea of taking two edge rushers relatively highly. We're going to talk about building strengths, building for the future and stuff like that in a little bit. But if you look at the edge rushing group, yeah, Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith are going to start. Zadarius Smith's probably going to kick inside a little bit on third downs, but still they paid him a lot of money. They're paying him to rush the quarterback. At the same time, Reggie Gilbert guaranteed probably nothing. Uh, Kendall Donerson probably in the same boat. And Kyler Fackrell is a free agent at the end of this upcoming season. And... (sighs) His contract situation is probably a little murky. Uh, I don't know what it is that it would take to re-sign him, but I don't know with the cap situation that Green Bay's in if that's something they're even going to be interested in. So if you came out of this draft with an edge rushing group that looks like the two Smiths, Brian Burns, Kyler Fackrell, and I'm going to plug Chase Winovich anytime I can. So let's just say, for example, that's the case. You're looking at what was a big weakness, now a huge strength. And that's a possibility that I think they could consider. There's a lot of possibilities they could consider. One of the conversations that has taken place recently is about Ed Oliver. And Ed Oliver is kind of a popular name, but like you mentioned, somebody that has – it is funny to me. You mentioned the term groupthink, and it was funny because after the season ended, everybody was like, okay, 12 is Ja'Kai Polite and 30 is Dalton Reisner. Let's lock it in. Let's draft tomorrow, and that's it. And now – you're really looking at a lot of different scenarios where there's still some groupthink that comes into play. 12 still looks a lot like, and I'm just, the source here is Packers Twitter and my Twitter timeline. So if it's incorrect, forgive me on that. I need to follow more people maybe if that's the case. But the or group, or, or yeah, or less, I guess you couldn't argue that. But um, the groupthink now really is 
Brian Burns and or Ed Oliver at 12, and then one of the Iowa tight ends, and it seems Packers Twitter prefers TJ Hawkinson, as most national pundits and such do as well, at 30. Let's talk about the idea of Ed Oliver at 12, though, because, you know, like you mentioned three weeks ago, if we're locked into a pass rusher, yeah, Ed Oliver is disruptive, but he plays a position that Green Bay doesn't quote-unquote need uh, because they have Kenny Clark and they have Mike Daniels for one more season and they have Dean Lowry, and they're probably going to bring Muhammad Wilkerson back for peanuts. I personally don't think that that player is somebody that should affect anything that Green Bay does. I feel that way about a guy like Tyler Lancaster as well, for example. Um, something you said before the show that kind of stuck with me, and you could speak more to it, is you should always be looking to make the worst guy in your position group better. So if Tyler Lancaster is the quote-unquote worst player on your position room, is that a bad thing? No. But it can be better. You know, I, The other example I use pretty frequently is, is it a bad thing if Jamal Williams is the Packers' second running back? No. But do I feel better if that's somebody a little more explosive, a little more big playability, a little less kind of a plotter that gains three yards in a cloud of dust? Yeah, I do feel better about something like that. So talk to me about the idea of adding Ed Oliver and building a strength along that defensive line as opposed to just kind of hoping for the status quo. Right. So the thing is, I tweeted about this today, um, and, and it's not unfounded, it's not wrong. Uh, per se, but a lot of people uh, focus on the positions of need or weaknesses, quote-unquote. And while you can't uh, remedy those positions without addressing them, um, I think a lot of people think, well, we have a good defensive line. We don't need to take that position. However, if you never address the positions that are strong because you're only addressing the positions that are weak, one, and I guess it theoretically it balances out your entire team, so there may be some, some value to that, I suppose. But when you have a position of strength, if you don't continue to strengthen it, it, it doesn't remain as strong over a period of time. For instance, the Packers defensive line starters right now are probably Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, and hypothetically Muhammad Wilkerson, right? They bring him back. He started last year. He's their best uh, – five technique defensive end uh, on the roster when he's when he's healthy or when he's on the team. So you bring him in. Okay. Uh, so after next year, Mike Daniels is a free agent and will get paid because he's been criminally underpaid for years now. His entire career. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tavon Austin made more money than Mike Daniels did last year. That's so insane. <laughs> you're like, well, he's going to go get paid and he deserves it. And maybe it is by Green Bay. However, when you're paying someone that much, you're like you're you're hamstringing your roster, right? So, someone like Ed Oliver, say he's the pick at twelve. Okay, the worst case scenario next year is that Ed Oliver takes over for Mike Daniels. I think your your best best case scenario is that you're able to retain Daniels, and then you've got Ed Oliver and Mike Daniels, uh, and and then the thought is too, if. And, and this is no slight to, to Tyler Lancaster, I suppose, but he was an undrafted free agent, and he plays one technique run stuffer, which is the most replaceable position along a defensive line. Uh, and that's not to to lessen the value of the position, just reality is there's a lot of dudes that can do that job. Um, so if, you, if, if Tyler Lancaster is the quote-unquote worst defensive lineman on your roster that makes your 53, and you draft Ed Oliver, well then... Lancaster probably doesn't make the team, but then maybe 
Montrevious Adams is the worst defensive lineman on your roster, and he was the third-round pick two years ago. So it's not a it, – there's obviously – it's a case-by-case thing, but I think strengthening your strength is, is often kind of lost uh, lost uh, the forest amongst the trees type of thing when you're like, oh, well, when you're only looking past the tip of your nose and, well, well we really need a, a pass rusher, okay? Um, well, we, re- we really need a corner. We really need this. We really need that. And if you only address those positions, eventually those positions of strength become positions of weakness, and then that's the position you're addressing um, with with this veracity or with this desperation. So um, if, if you keep – you have a, a unit of your team as a strength. You need to continue to strengthen that unit so it doesn't become weak. Um, obviously not at the hindrance of the other positions, but you can't allow – I guess, or you can't neglect a position of strength because it's good now uh, because in a year or so it might not be as good and you had a chance to um, maintain that level of talent or maintain that level of production and you chose not to uh, to draft a, a third corner, I suppose, rather than a, um, than a, a possible impact player in a position of quote-unquote strength. Yeah, kind of examples in both directions there for Green Bay in recent memory. Like, for example, they took Jordy Nelson when they had arguably the best wide receiving core in the league. Nobody was really complaining after they found out what Jordy Nelson was. And then you look at it now where they really haven't addressed the receiver position since 2014 when they took Devontae Adams. And you're really looking at a receiving core now that is Devontae and a lot of unknowns. So... There's a lot to unpack there. I really like the way that you're putting that up. Green Bay could definitely use, I mean, I think you can look at this roster and say, okay, the quarterback position is a strength. Any team that has Aaron Rodgers, that's going to be the case. Uh, And then after that, the defensive line position is a strength. But you're talking about a guy like Ed Oliver, who at least on my personal draft board is one of the top five players in this class. Adding him to a front that already includes Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, I think you're looking at a potential elite-level Super Bowl-caliber defensive line. And if you really think about it, in recent years, you mentioned Ndamukong Sue, Aaron Donald, uh, Michael Brockers along that defensive front for the Rams. The Patriots are kind of an anomaly, but they can kind of plug and go with just about anybody. But they had Trey Flowers. They had some really good players along their defensive line. The Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl a year ago with Fletcher Cox, Chris Long, Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett. They had a ton of guys that could kind of rotate in and out on that defensive line. Giving this team another legitimate Super Bowl-level kind of strength, because I don't know if they have that necessarily on their roster other than the quarterback position right now. I can't argue if that's something that they want to do uh, at 12 overall or to transition maybe potentially higher than that. Uh, Brian Gutekunst has a reputation as somebody who likes to move around. He only has one draft of which that he's done that, but he's made plenty of trades in his short tenure as a general manager, just draft specifically. Uh, he traded down from 14 to get that extra first round pick that green Bay currently employs. And then you have uh, trading back up to get Jair Alexander and he traded up to get Oren Burks. So obviously this is a little tough to do because we don't know what the board is going to look like, but there are players, somebody's going to fall because it happens every year. You know, we sit there, we sit there, and you know, somebody will say, "Oh, Ed Oliver won't be available at 12. Well, Derwin James and Harold Landry, and there were a bunch of guys last year that weren't going to be available at 14. Now, in order to trade up for somebody, you have to feel pretty confident, however, 
that that player is good, he's dropping, but probably still not going to make it to your selection. That's why Green Bay traded back up last year to get Jair Alexander. My theory when they traded down was they were going to see they had two guys in mind. I think they had Derwin James in mind, and I think they had Jair Alexander in mind. And once one of those guys went, you saw it. They traded right up right after Derwin James was selected. Green Bay was on the clock, and they took Jair, just like that. I think those were the two guys they had in mind. Another example uh, in recent years of somebody who having somebody in mind, Green Bay traded up a few years ago to get Jason Spriggs ahead of Chicago, and then Chicago dropped back eventually to take Cody Whitehair. It was pretty clear, at least at that point, that is the guy they wanted. They wanted Jason Spriggs. Now, for Chicago's sake, they should be thankful that that didn't work out for them. Hasn't quite worked out in Green Bay for Spriggs. To move to this trading up concept, I think we can agree, at least on my end, I, from 12, do not want to trade up for a tight end. Uh, Hawkinson, Fant, name your guy, doesn't really matter. There's not a safety worth trading up for. I personally, I think you agree as well, uh, as the offensive line guru here, I don't think there's an offensive lineman worth trading up for. So if Green Bay is to trade up from 12, what scenario are we looking at and who are some guys they could potentially target in that sort of scenario? Well, I think one of them, I think, is that Oliver. But since we've touched on that a bit, uh, I'm not going to, to continue to beat the horse. Uh, but along the same lines, I think it's going to be a line of scrimmage defender. Uh, the class is very top-heavy in that regard. Uh, a lot of, of premier talents. I think depending on their view of someone like Josh Allen out of Kentucky or Brian Burns from Florida State uh, or even Montez Sweat from Mississippi State, depending on how those first – or even someone like Rashawn Gary, who you and I spoke before the, the show, um, is a phenomenal athlete and a, a phenomenal conceptual football player, but that, but hasn't quite put it all together. Um, but the tools are there, and uh, some NFL coach is going to see this four six speed on this two hundred seventy five pound body and this large person and think they can make it work. So while I wouldn't be a fan of it um, conceptually, it, it makes sense. It, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. So someone like that. Uh, but the other one that we talked about, and I think that we've seen quite a bit of volatility in where he ends up in some of these mock drafts and depending on where the quarterbacks can go, is Quinnen Williams, uh, who to me is, is a slam dunk of a pick as there is in this class. And so we're going to use, I'm going to use him as this scenario. So bear with us here. But so if Kyler Murray goes number one and Nick Bosa goes number two, um, say, Brian Burns or Josh Allen go three. Uh, Devin White. Uh, some of these guys, we're going to throw out some names, and they're not necessarily going to specific destinations, but guys that could conceivably go this high. Um, you know, maybe even Montez Sweat or Rashawn Gary, someone like that, that that teams get enamored with these these um, these workout warrior types. Uh, you're talking. Potentially a DK Metcalf, someone in that range. Uh, someone's going to need an offensive lineman. Maybe Jonah Williams or Jawan Taylor goes as high as six or seven. And then at that point, we've just mentioned seven or eight guys that aren't Quinn and Williams. And while I think that Quinn and Williams is a better football player than all of one of those guys, that's another guy that where if Green Bay is sitting at 12 and they say it's pick number seven, Quinn and Williams is still available. We cannot let this player fall any farther. This is a difference-maker player for us. This is a, a player that conceivably could be a, a top 
10 or so defensive linemen in the league within a couple of seasons and someone that we can build our defense around or continue to shape our defense around, I suppose, that that's someone we cannot allow to get any lower. So that's someone that if Green Bay is at, if, at 12 and the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers pass on him at 5 and maybe they, they think that Jacksonville wants to move down uh, because – of however, you know, we're looking if the, if the Giants take a quarterback at six, and all of a sudden, Quinn Williams is still here. We did not foresee this happening. This was not supposed to happen. This was not, uh, you know, he was going to be gone at number two. That was the whole point. And then all of a sudden, while he's here, I think he's a guy that you take 20, or you, excuse me, you take 12 and 30, and you say, you know what? This, this 30th pick is a luxury, and while we could use it to get two potential starters, Quinn and Williams is a guy that we can't allow to get past us. We saw, um, you know, the Falcons did it to trade up for Julio Jones, and we've seen how good he's been. And I'm not meaning to say that if you trade up for a player in the top six or seven that he's going to be an elite player at that position, but he probably should be. Uh, if, if you're you're doing that and you're that you feel that strongly, uh, you're that convicted in your your efforts to go get him. Someone like Quinn and Williams, I think, could be. You know what? If the Packers take him at seven. We, the Packers weren't supposed to have pick 30 anyways. So if you can use that along with 12 and, and probably a third round pick uh, to get up five spots to get to seven, I think Quinn and Williams and whoever you take at 44 is probably a, a comparable or, or maybe even better haul than what you're able to get stay put. So I think that um, there, I, there aren't many. And I think, like I said, I think they're along the defensive front on the line of scrimmage, but there are a couple guys I wouldn't hate uh, moving up for and, and sacrificing uh, that, that draft capital in order to go get somebody rather than, like you mentioned last year, well, we have two guys. We'll see if they're there. If something unforeseen happens, go get them. Yeah, I'm with you. And Quentin Williams was one of the names that came to mind. I know you don't like to play the game of, well, he won't be there. Well, no, he probably won't be at 12. Uh, but it, I think the scenario you just laid out at least – leaves it to some possibility that he is there at like six or seven. Leonard Williams was a slam dunk top three pick. He was picked sixth overall. Stuff happens, especially true with the quarterback movement. Now, is it possible that we get an EJ Manuel kind of year where the only quarterback that goes in the first round was kind of a what the hell and goes 15th overall? Yeah, that's possible, but... When one of the quarterbacks, and I would bet whatever it is that you want to, that Kyler Murray Murray is going number one overall. I think there's way too much smoke there for there to not be some sort of fire that that's where Kyler Murray goes. Whether it's Arizona trying to entice Oakland or a team like that to come up and get him, or Arizona just stays there and takes them himself or themselves, that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, To answer your question... Is that worth 12 and 30? So let's just say for groupthink purposes that have hit, would you rather have Ed Oliver and one of the Iowa tight ends, which seems to be the common theory at 30, although I don't know if the Iowa kids are going to be available at 30 overall, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, or would you rather have like Quinn and Williams at 8 and name your tight end, name your offensive lineman, name your secondary pass rusher at 44? Quinton Williams, to me, is the best player in this draft. And if you can get the best player in the draft at 44 and put him next to Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels and just say, hey, we think this guy is 
Aaron Donald. Well, maybe he won't be him because that's a ridiculously high ceiling. But we think this guy is just going to wreck games and wreck people. Now, I'm sure as we say all this, the Jets will take him third overall, and it wasn't even ever something that could become a discussion. But I do think it's a valid one that, at least in my estimation, I believe, okay, Green Bay has 10 picks this year. I would like to see that pick number come down to like six or seven. And I say that because I want them to move up. I want them to go get guys. I want them to get blue chip talent. I would like to see them try and maximize and get as many picks in the top 50, as many picks in the top 100 as they possibly can. One way to do that is moving up to get Quinn and Williams. And in this case, oh, and you laid it out. It's not going to take 12, 30, and 44. In order for them to do that, they would have to move up to like two or three. And I don't see them doing that. But if Quentin Williams is available and they've decided they have to have him, that's their guy, 12 and 30, and one of those fourth-round picks is absolutely something that's worth it for a prospect of his caliber. Some other guys I think that you kind of mentioned and could go into as well, Ed Oliver is one, Uh, Brian Burns, at least in my opinion, is another one. And Josh Allen could be another one as well that I think Green Bay could move up for. Let's yeah, talk. And like, I, I, it's hard to cut you off, but I think that, um, you know, I, I passed on Ed Oliver because of the, the previous conversation prompts, but I think that's another guy that it wouldn't surprise me at all if Green Bay, um, with as much success as they've had with Mike Daniels and they've seen how effective and valuable he can be, uh, and with him approaching a contract year, and I don't think it's out of the realm that Ed Oliver could be traded up for. Uh, and while that's become a, a, a more common occurrence, I suppose, in mock drafts or throughout the media, that, well, Ed Oliver could drop to 12. He very well could. I don't think it's a bad move if, if Green Bay trades 12 and 44 uh, to, go, to move up to 10. Um, or with with Denver or somebody that I don't think that I think Ed Oliver isn't I don't think he's as good as Quinton Williams but I don't think he's out of the ballpark uh, where Quinton Williams is at and it wouldn't surprise me either if the Packers valued him that highly I still don't think it's a bad move despite the, the forecasting here that well he could be available at 12 well he might not and and who you get at 12 might not make you as happy as that Oliver would have so um you know, even even if it's just a couple of picks to move up to nine or eleven or, or whatever the the case may be, ten. I, I don't think that's out of the realm, and I, I don't think it would be a bad decision. Right, and in that case, what you're asking is is Ed Oliver more important to you than say whoever's left at twelve? And if Oliver and Williams and all those defenders are gone, I imagine. They probably don't have somebody that they absolutely love at pick twelve. So is that more important than the number twelve overall pick? And say. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson or Juan Thornhill or name your safety that you could pick at 44? I would say absolutely, but I mean, I'm also somebody that isn't overly enamored with this year's safety class. I don't think there's anybody that you're like, man, I gotta have that guy. That's the dude I want. I wouldn't take any safety in the first round of this year's draft. I've been pretty consistent with that on Twitter and everything that I've been able to discuss with, so I'm with you. Uh, I, I think that would you rather know for a fact you're getting Ed Oliver And this is why it's kind of like the Mitchell Trubisky argument a little bit uh, with Ryan Pace. And, you know, people criticize Ryan Pace for giving up that extra fourth-round pick to go get his guy. Now, my argument with that is if Mitchell Trubisky is a franchise quarterback, nobody's going to give a damn that he gave up an extra fourth-round pick that he didn't have to give up for a player he was going to draft anyways. If Ed Oliver 
is one of the best defensive tackles in the league. We're not going to miss pick number 44, I don't believe, at least that much to that point. Um, 12 is not the only pick that Green Bay has. They also have pick number 30. So let's just say they stay put at 12 for argument's sake here because it's unlikely that they would trade up from both spots. They just don't have the ammo uh, to be able to do that. So say they stay at pick 12 and select whomever, and they're looking at 30, and they still have, in this case, 44. They still have pick 75, and they have both of their fours. They can still move up and really get whoever they want. Is there a range? Is there a sweet spot? This is where, again, you kind of talked about this pick being a bonus pick. Is there something where, you know, now here is where you're trading up and you're not targeting a premier position. You're not targeting just a pass rusher, a quarterback, a left tackle, a corner. You can really target, at least in my opinion, whatever you want, whether that's one of the Iowa tight ends or an offensive lineman like Dalton Reisner or a wide receiver prospect that they really like. That's a possibility in my opinion. Really, honestly, as long as it's not a running back, I don't think I'm going to be overly upset. But is there a sweet spot you can see here where Green Bay moves up and what is the position or the player specifically that you think you're targeting if you're moving up from 30? I think if you're moving up from 30, and I think as something that, and we talked about this a bit as well, uh, whether they move back and move back in or even say they were to stay put at 30, I think you could probably get to 32 with 44, 75, and either a 2020 pick or one of those fourths as well. Um, and theoretically, then you could be moving up into three first-round picks, which is something the Vikings we know that we've seen do. Uh, but to not uh, to not uh, divert too far from this, I think there's a couple different positions uh, where you could see something here if they were to, to move up from 30 to, say, 25 or 6. So it's been widely uh, speculated that they're, they're, both, they're interested in both Iowa tight ends. Uh, Matt LaFleur will be looking for a, uh, a piece at tight end. He had Delaney Walker last year in Tennessee. Um, they, they made an effort to trade for Gerald Everett in, San, uh, in Los Angeles the year before that. Um, they had a good one in Austin Hooper uh, in Atlanta prior to that. So I think that, and with, with Jimmy Graham's realistic limitations, I guess at this point, um, both of those guys would make sense. And say the Oakland Raiders at 24 take Noah Fant, uh, or, or they take TJ Hawkinson, or one of the two. Uh, if, if the other one is there, uh, that could be something where if Green Bay fears as though they won't get to 30 and the pass rushers they want are gone and uh, you know any other position they, they're considering there, if Nasir Adderley goes to the Eagles at 25 or whatever the case may be, all of a sudden, well, we, let's go get that other tight end because whoever we get at 30, we won't feel as good about as we would if getting one of those tight ends. So you trade 30 and... 75 uh, or, or 30 and 114 to go up to 28 and because you think that that whoever's or that one of those guys could fall uh, I think that's probably the realistic thing you're not moving up far uh, a couple spots someone like Hollywood Brown uh, I, I wouldn't I don't know what the Packers uh, realistic interest in him would be but that's someone that I think like I said, with this, this quote-unquote luxury pick or this uh, unforeseen uh, type of situation, I think that if, if that's someone you feel as though can truly be a difference maker, um, there was some reported interest with, with John Ross a couple of years ago, and that's a guy that 
if you think as though he can do something different that other guys in this class can't do, or someone that in through free agency or a realistic trade uh, for a player that you can't get, that's something I wouldn't hate. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of drafting 170-pound dudes with injury histories, uh, if we're looking at John Ross, but uh, I think that, that that home run swing is what you're looking for uh, in that late first round area when you're when you've already gotten somebody uh, and you've got some extra ammo to work with here. So I think that's a guy that could potentially uh, be a target. Another one that I'm a huge fan of this guy and he's taken a bit of a tumble in the media uh, after the combine <laughs> is someone like Jakai Polite uh, that, that 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 the Packers. Uh, were very widely mocked too to take him at 12 uh, the day before the combine and no one cared and then he showed up and he was out of shape and uh, didn't interview very well or didn't didn't uh, do well at the podium and then all of a sudden well I don't know now he's like a third round player uh, I, I don't think um, you mentioned I think that'll affect him with different teams uh, some more than others but that's a guy that if you feel as though he's a special talent and he's there at 26 and you're sitting there at 30 and you don't know if he'll make it there Go get him. It's a pass rusher with a first-round pick. This is a fifth-year option. That's five years. Uh, if he doesn't turn out, it was a pick you weren't supposed to have, and you can release him after his fourth year. Uh, it's not a, a big deal. But if he's a guy that legitimately can, can help your defense and transform your defense to where you have that other outside guy because you're rushing with Ed Oliver and Zedaria Smith on the inside, and you have Preston Smith and Ja'Kai Polite on the outside – and when Ed Oliver and Zedaria Smith get tired, you can bring in Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark. Um, that's, that's a pretty incredible scenario, and that's a guy that, like I said, that fifth year of, of uh, potential control over that player in the first round uh, is really enticing to me. Uh, and it's like, I, I'm a huge fan of Polite. I think he can. he's a guy that, they, that Green Bay doesn't have that style of player, and I think that's another guy that they could potentially look at uh, if he were to slide like the media thinks he could. So Polite's an interesting case study because his tape says Clay Matthews. Uh, I know that comparison has been made several times before, but it really does play out. He does look like Clay on tape. Everything else points to, like, Tim Williams or somebody who just had a really awful everything else other than the film and yep. slid down draft boards for that reason. So, again, with that being a luxury pick, I think you could figure out very quickly – that Green Bay has the option of doing a lot of different things uh, with that pick. And I think that um, it's very possible that Green Bay looks that route with someone like Ja'Kai Polite. And it's it's something that it's, – it's just an interesting spot for – for Green Bay to look at in regards to what, what it is that they're able to do at that position. And – I think that that's, that's something that will be potentially looked at very strongly because something else that was mentioned was that Green Bay was very interested in Ja'Kai Polite going into the combine. Uh, Tony Pauline reported as much that Green Bay was interested in getting Ja'Kai Polite. So if that's the case, then I think that you're looking at a possibility that Polite could be somebody that they steal at 30th overall or maybe even 44, who the hell knows at this point. But it's one of those, like you mentioned, it's a home run swing uh, when you know, I think the analogy that you used before the show is it's a home run swing and you know what pitch the pitcher's throwing. 
uh, which has to be a nice little luxury. And like you mentioned, a a defensive front of Preston Smith and Ja'Kai Polite and then Ed Oliver and Zadarius Smith, and then you can bring in Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark. Now you're talking about a pass rush unit that is a legitimate strength. And I think that's something that Green Bay hasn't had since, oh, God. Uh, I mean, even 2010 when they had Matthews in his absolute prime, the pass rush was a strength, but it was really just Clay and a bunch of dudes. Like, B.J. Raji had a really good year that year. I guess I shouldn't say that. Colin Jenkins was really good that year, too. But the other guys across from him, Eric Walden, Frank Zombo, just dudes they threw out there, and it really didn't matter. So the polite thing is interesting. And again, like you mentioned, you mentioned some boomer bust prospects. Maybe that's the route Green Bay takes uh, in regards to what you were talking about as far as trading up specifically. If they were to do it, I think Fant or Hawkinson is a really good possibility. I think one of the offensive linemen in that case would be a good possibility, whether that's Dalton Reisner or Chris Lindstrom or somebody like that that they really like towards the end of the first round if they do that route. Or uh, maybe if a pass rusher falls or something like that that they really like. I have a theory that they're going to be high on Cleland Farrell. Uh, just seems like the type of player that the Packers like uh, in regards to the guy's everything from a character standpoint that you would really want according to reports. He's a longer player. He's a smart player. He's not. I don't think he has the all-pro potential that somebody like Brian Burns has or Josh Allen, but I do think that he's one of those guys that he, like, you – Set him on your team, and you pencil him in for like seven sacks, quite a few pressures, and he plays really well, sets the edge, and is a really good run defender. Essentially, kind of what Nick Perry was when he was healthy, but I think he has potential to be a better player than Nick Perry was. So that that 30 pick is kind of interesting just because of the ability that they could have to take a home run kind of swing at the end of the first round there. Oh, and real quick before we close up here, do you think that this is something where Green Bay – Again, should they be looking for, just in general, once we get out of the first round, should they be looking for as many swings as possible? Or are you like me where you're thinking, hey, the sixth and the seventh round, those are just kind of preferred undrafted free agents anyways, and they need to be doing as many things as they can to get, in my opinion at least, I believe they should be doing as much as they can to get as many picks in the top 100 as possible. If they... I don't want to say it quite like this, but if they didn't pick on day three at all, I don't think I would be all that disappointed if it meant they had you know six picks in the first three rounds or something like that. Now, that's probably not realistic, but if they didn't pick for the sixth or seventh round, that's just not a big deal to me uh, because, I mean, if you look at last year, Equinemius St. Brown was kind of a unicorn. He was a sixth-round pick we were excited about because we thought he was a day two player. He fell to the sixth round. Otherwise, they took... Hunter Bradley and Kendall Donerson, who didn't play a snap, and James Looney, who only played after the injuries, completely decimated the defensive line. And I think J.K. Scott was a sixth-round pick as well. So if you're looking that route, I just don't think they're missing out on a whole lot if they don't pick later on day three. What are your thoughts on being aggressive, not just in the first round, but later in the draft as well? Uh, we've seen guys like Michael Bennett uh, go for a fifth-round pick, and that's a starter on a playoff team. Uh, and a very valuable guy. So while I'm not, uh, I think there's no question that getting a proven veteran for a late round draft pick uh, is clearly like a higher upside proposition there. You know exactly what you're getting. Um, I think that 
within reason. Uh, you should continue to be aggressive. Uh, I don't know if you need to trade all of your day three guy or say uh, trade two sixths and a seventh to get back up into the fifth. Um, I think at that point the difference in in talent uh, in that day three area is while it may be marginal. I think that's a better chance to have as many swings as you want. Uh, but I mean, if someone, uh, for instance, someone that that Green Bay really likes were to fall into the third round, say, um, it's looking unlikely at this point, but someone like Juan Thornhill or somebody like a John Abram, maybe the NFL isn't as high on him as the media is, or uh, a Christian Miller, somebody that you think could be a potential contributor. Um, you know, I have no issue with, with trading two-fourths and a fifth uh, to go get um, a, a guy in that top 100 area, that, that 80s, 90s. Um, but I think there, those late-round picks, and as much as realistically the expectations of what a late-round pick should be um, is, is very low, um, I, I am a, a firm believer in that, again, that those late-round guys, someone like Hunter Bradley, a lot of people were mad because they, they hadn't, you know, it, it's a, a draft pick on a long snapper, but someone that made the 53. Jamon Moore didn't make the 53-man roster. Um, Hunter Bradley did. So that's a thing where I think you can fill out your roster there, um, and, and that was something that Ted Thompson was always very well known for is using those late-round picks and, and for the, the guys like uh, Devontae Mays was someone that they had as an undrafted free agent priority. Um, then you can, you can ensure that those guys end up in camp with you, but um, I'm probably a bit more conservative in that aspect. So uh, I guess – but. But like I said, if, if the if the opportunity were presents itself, I would much rather have a John Ross for a sixth round pick, um, or or someone that would provide something or uh, some type of uh, uh, a proven aspect or a, a for sure thing um, that late in the draft, it's, it's tough to turn down. And I think that's something that we've seen um, from Gutekunst as far as he's willing to use all avenues uh, to improve the roster. We saw that with him attempting to get Kyle Fuller and and stuff like that, using restricted free agency and, and other uh, other vehicles that way. So, um, I, I, yeah, it would probably have to take a pretty special uh, haul to for me to be cool with not having any day three picks. Uh, but for sure, um, you're certainly willing to, to package what you can to keep up in that top 100 because that's, as you said, that's those are the, the ones, like I said, I, I – and a bit of an impromptu metaphor, but you know, you're taking four home run swings and you know, they're throwing a fastball. It, it's a, it's a better chance than standing up there. And I don't know what pitch they're going to throw, but I'm going to swing as hard as I can. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, clearly look to be aggressive, but I think that's something that Gutekunst has shown too. He's not willing to make moves just for the sake of making moves. Um, uh, but, but with guys in mind. So I think that's something that towards that latter part of the day three, and that's where they traded back up to get Oren Burks. Um, that's a spot where I think that, those that extra fourth round pick or that extra sixth round pick uh, could probably become uh, disposable at that point. Yeah, and I think that's something that you know you kind of mentioned the veterans that could be available on the trade market. Players get traded relatively frequently during the draft, and if I mean I don't, you mentioned John Ross specifically. That's a, another guy who like okay, it's a sixth round pick. It's the pick that you got for Brett Hundley. Yeah, that's probably a better bet than picking a you know athletic outlier that's in the sixth round because he's just kind of a raw football player. Like or, Jeff Janis? Very much like Jeff Janis. 
Oh, God. Okay, we just mentioned Jeff Janis on the show. There you go, everybody. We can sign off now. We never have to do another show again. <laughs> but, you know, something I was thinking of while you're talking about, I mean, I'm cool that they didn't trade for Michael Bennett, but that's because he's a Bennett. So I think that says enough. But if you look at, you know, the possibility is maybe they can find a, a swing tackle with a fifth round, a veteran swing tackle with a fifth round pick or a speed receiver like you mentioned, or maybe the the other running back that they want to add to the roster. You know, Duke Johnson is a name that's been floated around as a possibility. If they were able to trade a six round pick for him, if they couldn't get any of the running backs that they liked earlier, that's a possibility as well. What's nice to know is these are stones that were left unturned in recent years because Ted Thompson was unwilling to do things like that. We would have just looked at the draft class, and that's what you're hoping for. The Packers would have been relying on a fifth-round pick to be their starting right guard because signing Billy Turner was never a question. You're looking at the 12th overall pick to start right away, which may not be the case right now. I mean, I imagine they'll contribute at some point, but they may not have to start right away, which is a positive thought. In general, I think my philosophy going into this draft is solve your problems with aggression. Uh, And I was exaggerating a little bit when I said no day three picks, but don't hold on to those. Don't clutch those things like they're precious metal either. If there's something that you're willing and able to do, make that jump. Uh, And we talked about a lot of that tonight. There's going to be a lot of speculation between now and then. Owen, thank you for joining this show uh, tell our people, since you are new, where can we find your stuff? Where can we find everything that you're doing in the uh, blogosphere here? Yeah, man, uh, appreciate you having me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Reese Draft, R-I-E-S-E, Draft. Uh, I'm doing interior offensive linemen and punters uh, for the Cheesehead TV Draft Guide. I write much more regularly at its quarter on SB Nation. And uh, at times, Moonlight, uh, Pack and Company, or or inside the pylon. So uh, I have not been quite as active as a footballer, as a, as a draft or um, non-Badgers writer this past year than I have been in the past, but kind of may come off as combative at times. But uh, certainly just kind of looking to push uh, push the thought process and, and not to uh, kind of succumb to the group think, which we've talked about a bit. So, um, yeah, uh, make sure to check us out. Make sure to order uh, pre-order your draft guide if you haven't already done that. Uh, a lot of talented people are working on that. And, um, so, yeah, I'm less alone in that. Um, but, yeah, just looking forward to the offseason and uh, seeing what uh, the Packers are able to add to the roster. Yeah, absolutely. It should be a great show. Uh, Owen mentioned the Cheesehead TV draft guide. There's a lot of talented people in that. And then there's also me. I'm doing the tight ends this year, so be sure to check that out. Pre-order everything. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter. It's at Packaday Podcast. And you can follow me personally. I am at Jacob Westendorf. I'm on the show as much as I can be, as much as they'll let me. Uh, thank you guys for listening in. I really appreciate uh, giving the opportunity for all of us to be able to do this. Draft is coming soon. Everything else, and we'll be at training camp. And September 5th, the Green Bay Packers will take on the Chicago Bears to open the regular season and reminding the world that the Bears still suck. Thank you guys as always for listening and go pack go. Third and six trailing 30 to 23 two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A gap and here they come. Rogers looking throws left side of the end zone. Adams, left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers. 
16-yard touchdown pass. The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. Beathard on third down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz and here they come. Beathard looking. Hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline. And intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Sam to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side. St. Brown makes the Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers. Looking downfield. Throws the left side. Devontae's got it. Out of bounds inside the 10-yard line. Oh, my goodness. What a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee. Arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. He is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.